my title for tonight is Let Your Rocks Cry Out. And my main passage of scripture is Luke 19, 40, which is when Jesus tells us exactly the opposite of that, right? He tells us, and um, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so my endeavor for tonight is, one, to be on time. We will be out of here by 8 o'clock. <laughs> but two, I endeavor to show us tonight that in order to know how the rocks will cry out, we need to know what we need to be filling our mouths with. We need to know the things that we're supposed to be fulfilling our call in. Otherwise, the rocks will cry out, right? And so, um, you know, I'm so thankful to be able to speak tonight, and it's never an expectation, right? There should always be somebody that we're pouring into and somebody that we're speaking but into. This all started when we were on a family vacation. By the way, I really preach way better the more that y'all interact with me, okay? So go ahead and give me some amens if it's like really speaking to your heart, okay? Yeah. So this all started out on a family vacation many, many years ago. We were in Seattle. And if you've ever been to Seattle or in the you know Pacific Northwest, they have beaches, but they're not sandy beaches, especially not like beautiful white sandy beaches. A lot of times they are rocky beaches. And so as we're walking along, we had already seen the gum wall. We had already done the market. We had already done all of these different things. But we came along these rocks, and there were all of these little towers similar to this. And... If you've ever met my brother, which I told my brother I was going to talk about him tonight. So, hi, Nicholas. I know that you're watching because you want to see what I have to say about you. But being him, he started adding rocks to it. He started putting sunglasses on. We had, you know, we took pictures. We had a good time and we moved on. And honestly, I didn't even really think anything else about it until many, many years later this past summer, Hunter and I were hiking at the Y. And we thought we would have a nice romantic sunset walk out on the trails. And because of rain and different terrain things, there was no longer a trail. And so as it's getting darker, you know, I'm not saying anything, but I'm really wondering how we're getting back. He's not saying anything, but he's really wondering how we're getting back. And we're just kind of wandering around trying to find our way. Sun's going down. You know, our car's a very long way away. We have no idea where it is. And I remembered seeing another rock tower. And I took a picture because it reminded me of that vacation. And I wanted to send it to my family and say, oh, look at the good times that we had together, you know. So I remembered this rock tower. And that ended up being the marker that we found our way back. We knew that right about that point was where the trail started to fade out. So we were able to make our way back to safety. So after that night the Lord just illuminated that to me. Sometimes we can be so busy in life that we are forgetting the little things that God is trying to show us. And so if we're willing to just sit and listen, if we're willing to be quiet for a little bit, sometimes he'll show us things. So he told me to go ahead and Google it. And I did, and these are actually called rock carns, C-A-I-R-N-S. And a rock carn has been made for many centuries by many different cultures, but most often they are piles, um, mounds, um, towers, stacks of rocks, and they take on different forms. But normally their purpose is to be a monument, to be a burial site, to be a navigational aid, 
And then there's other uses, but those are mainly the three purposes of a rock carn. So I'm going to call them memorial stones because we're going to see a precedent for them in the Bible. These aren't just something that humans have, you know, thought to do, but it's something that God actually inspired for us to do. And if God inspired us, then we need to know what they are, right? And so we're going to see time and time again in the Old Testament when we have these memorial stones. And then we're going to see how that correlates to our life today as a New Testament believer. And so, you know, our first passage of scripture is in Genesis 28, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles there. Genesis 28, 10 through 22 is when Jacob had the vision from the Lord. How many of you guys remember that story? It's not only a time that was important for that time, but for generations to come, right? And so what we're going to see is that he thought it was so important that he needed to commemorate that physical place in order to remember that time, right? So in verse 10, I hope you guys can follow along if it's too small. You can blame it on the fact that I'm 24 and have eyes that are blessed by the Lord, right? So Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones from that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. I don't know about y'all, but if you have ever been to a sleepover and they, like, don't give you a pillow, you're, like, finding lamps. You're, like, you know, willing to, like, lay on a slipper, you know, do whatever you can so you have a pillow, right? He found a rock. So he's sleeping on this rock, right? Verse 13 or verse 12, he says, and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and on top of it, it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed, right? This is something that we see. This is not the first time that God had promised this, right? But we see time and time again when God is so willing to remind us of his promises. This is one of those times, right? In verse 15, it says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. He had to get his attention a little bit. How many of you guys need your attention? You know, the Lord is in this place. He did like audibly speak to me and he gave me a vision. I should probably commemorate it, right? So he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was loose at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. And so at this time, Jacob did not want to forget what God had given him, right? Bethel means house of God. And so, you know, these memorial stones are not just a marker of something that happened. It created a center for worship. We see later on, it, 
Bethel was the place. Like Bethel was the place where people would go to worship, right? Bethel was the place where worship was commemorated for a purpose, right? By physically remembering what God had done, Jacob increased his faith and the faith of those who had later worshiped there, right? So we have one precedence in Bethel, right? We have a second precedence in Gilgal, and this is in Joshua 4, 1 through 8. And I know that I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but scripture is good. Scripture is helpful. Scripture gives us time after time that, you know, if something is minor and we only see it one time, we don't need to major in the minors. But when we're seeing two, three, four, five different instances, that's when we pay closer attention to it, right? So in Joshua 4, God had commanded the Israelites. They were being attacked by the Philistines. He had told them to, oh, I'm sorry, wrong one. God had commanded them to cross the river, sorry. And he, the same river that he had already stopped miraculously, right? Joshua led the 12 tribes to each gather a stone. And then he told them to make a memorial in that place. So we're going to see it in verse 1. It says, when all of the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each, a tri- from each tribe a man, and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan and from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, he had appointed a man from each tribe. And, uh, and Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord, your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each one of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel so that this might be a sign among you. I'll say that again. So that this might be a sign among you. When your children ask in time, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off so that these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So this these memorial stones were not just meant to commemorate a time. And, you know, as we're going to see later on in the New Testament, it's not that we're parking by our successes, right? We're not parking by our failures. They went on from that place. But every single time they were reminded of that, they knew to connect it to the faithfulness of God. Does that make sense? Every single time, you know, for generations to come, I don't know if you've read the Bible very much, but the Israelites were very forgetful people. They forgot God's faithfulness time and time again, but yet every single time they would pass by the Jordan, they would see those 12 stones and they would have to remember that God was there in that time, that God worked in that time, and that the same God that was there then would be there for them then right? And so we're going to see in, in verse 19, it says, then the people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, he's saying it again, because again, these are forgetful people, right? He says, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord, your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord, your God did to the Red Sea, which he had dried up for us when we had passed over so that all of the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And the purpose, he says here, is so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
these stones were not to commemorate what the Israelites did in and of themselves. Have you guys noticed that? Like every single time we're gonna see one of these memorial stones, it isn't to glorify what happened. It's to glorify, it's a sign and a wonder of the one who made it happen. Does that make sense? These testimonies that we have, that we have of God working is just pointing the way back to Jesus. These remembrance stones in Gilgal would remind future generations of the God of miracles so that their faith would be renewed. And then our last and final in the Old Testament time that we're going to see. So how many do we have? We have Bethel. We have Gilgal. And now we're going to have Ebenezer. And this is in 1 Samuel 7, 7 through 12. And this is when the Israelites are under attack from the Philistines. They were overtaken by an army that was way stronger than what they could do in and of themselves, right? So God led them to victory. And so Samuel erected a large stone and called it Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means the stone of help. And so the things that we are, we are giving place to in our lives, the things that we're naming, the things that we're um, glorifying, they do mean things. And we're speaking them out every single time we're saying them, right? So let's go ahead and start in verse 7. But it says, Now the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mitzpah. The Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, don't cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Verse 10. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day. And so it confused them, and they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen and called it Ebenezer, saying, Thus, for the Lord has helped us. And I know that my translation is a little bit different, but Samuel recognized the source of their victory as God, right? He commemorated God's goodness in a permanent way, and it ensured that the Israelites would not forget God's grace. In a time when they were too scared to ask God for help, and they called on Samuel, Samuel was faithful to do what God had called him at that time. You know what I mean? A lot of times, what we're going to see is these memorial stones were were a place that the people who were too afraid to call on the name of God could see it and say, that same God is for me, right? And so, yes, we see, we see um, a precedence for these memorial stones in the Old Testament, but how are we supposed to translate that into the New Testament? It's not that we're supposed to start erecting, you know, large rock towers, and yes, I have one here today, but the purpose is so that we are supposed to be the living stones. First Peter 2 talks about how we are living stones and how Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It says, so keep coming to him who is the living stone. Though he was rejected and discarded by men, but chosen by God and is priceless in God's sight, come and be his living stones who are continually being assembled together into a sanctuary for God. And so, yes, we are supposed to be living stones, but the purpose of being a living stone is to be assembled together. And that's really what I, you know, it's really easy to just take this one rock and to like see this on the ground and not 
to ignore it, to walk right by it. But what happens when you see five? What happens when you see six? What happens when you see 12? The magnitude of these living stones being assembled together makes it a place where it doesn't matter how far you are. You can see that memorial stone happening, right? Those times when we are building upon each other's faith, it's encouraging our faith. It's creating a center for worship, right? It's creating a navigational aid, like the first purpose, right? The same navigational aid that Hunter and I had to use to get back to our car for safety is the same navigational aid that we can use when we say, it is Jesus. It was not me who healed myself. It was not anybody else. It wasn't this person. It wasn't that person. It was only God, right? And so these times when we are adding stones to this memorial, it's purposeful, right? And so there are times when we are supposed to praise the name of Jesus. Now can you guys understand why I use that worship song? It's like, I will not let my praise be hindered. I will not let the rocks cry out in my place, right? I will be the one to do that. And the way that we do that is by sharing our testimony. And there are so many times that, you know, we think it's just an instance when we think, oh, and I'll, I'll explain in a minute, but... There are so many times when we can explain away the victories that God has given us. When we can say, oh, you know, oh, it's that, or oh, it's this, and then just move on. And we're not even acknowledging the fact that God moved in our life. In the same places that we praise, it's opening up a door for God to move again. If we're constantly nullifying the gift that God has given us, what shows that we are able to receive another one? Does that make sense? And so as we're adding these stones, it's like, you know, like Daniel, like, oh, it's like Daniel fell off of a tree, chainsaw didn't kill him, praise God, that was protection, you know what I mean? He could say, oh, you know, it was just happenstance that the chainsaw fell, and I only nicked this part, not my neck, you know what I mean? Like, come on, that's a, that's a God thing, right? It's a God thing that they just so happened to, like, I don't even know how all that worked, but none of the phones worked, and I do know that, right? Like, there are so many miracles just within that one story that we have to give all the glory to God, right? Think about in the Bible, if the rocks would have cried out, what would the rocks have said? What would the rock of the tombstone that covered Jesus's tomb have said? Would it have spoken of the soldiers when they came and they realized he really is Messiah? What would that rock have said? Would it have spoken of, you know, seeing Jesus in there laying, waiting for his time when he could come back down to earth? What about the rock when, when Moses struck it not once, but he struck it twice? Would, he, would that rock speak of the doubt and the unbelief from a man who had performed so many miracles by the hand of God? You know what I mean? Like, what are these rocks actually saying? They're declaring the goodness of God in the midst of human frailty, right? There are so many times, just like in 1 Samuel, it talks about how they're like, oh, you can call on the Lord, but tell us how that works out because we'll be there. You know what I mean? Like there are so many times when our, when our human frailty and our faults are getting in the way of God, but still God moves. You know what I mean? Like that's giving all of the glory to God. And so what happens when we're not sharing them, we're letting them be a thing of the past, is we're being stuck in a place just like the Israelites when they went round and round. They were waiting to get their victory, waiting to get their victory, but they weren't acknowledging the victory that God had given them day after day after day. They had been given food. Their clothes had not worn out for 40 years. All of the people that were there 
like the safety of that alone is magnificent, right? And so they're waiting to go around. They're waiting to go around until they can get their victory. And yet God is giving them victory. They just need to praise God for it. You know what I mean? And so there are times when we're not acknowledging the gift that God has given us. And, you know, we can hear of promotions. We can hear of, you know, the way that God spoke to somebody, told them to move somewhere, all of these different things. But it's being assembled together, right? It's being assembled together. And that's part of the reason why we are together. There have been times when I have, you know, been doubting in my faith and somebody else will say something that just encourages me. You know what I mean? They've had, they've had um, God move in the same way that I'm believing for. And there have been times when I've been that person to encourage somebody else. And so if we are to keep our mouths quiet, we're just spreading the rocks out. It's, it's like going onto the beach and you're looking everywhere for something to attach your eyes to. And yet all the rocks are still there, right? They're still there. They're like, um, if you think about in Joshua, the fact that there was 12 I just think about if there was only one stone that they would have erected, that every single time they would have walked by the Jordan, they would have just passed over it. You know what I mean? The same God that was there when they crossed the Jordan was the same God that would give them Jesus, which is the same God that will bring us to heaven one day, which is the same Jesus that has healed. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I think the best example is me, which is the worst example of me. But, hi, Dad. I know you're watching too. But... You know, Hunter always likes to laugh because they're, you know, the testimony of God, I've even been guilty of nullifying, right? I was on, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm half white, my mom's very white, and my dad is Colombian, not very white. And so my dad spoke mainly Spanish to me growing up until the age of three, and my mom spoke mainly English to me until the age of three. And around three years old or so, I might be getting some of these details incorrect, but around three, I would start to like Spanglish everything. I would stutter. I, I couldn't form a complete sentence in one language or another. You know, I just was struggling. And so we went to the pediatrician and my white doctor in Midwest Iowa was like, oh, she'll never use Spanish. Just forget that. And basically after that, I just spoke English. And so, yes, I took some high school Spanish from a lady who mispronounced my last name. Yes, Pena, and she said Pina, awkward. So I'm not really sure how much I really got out of that experience, but there was a time when I went to Colombia. My dad brought me and we did missions work in um, Bogota and we went to Medellin. And over the course of those couple weeks, God supernaturally revealed so much Spanish to me that after that trip, I was able to be a translator at my job in Tulsa. I took the Spanish phone calls. And yet, once I moved to Texas, people would say, oh, do you speak Spanish? And I'm like, well, I speak like a little bit. Or, you know, I'm conversational, but I'm not bilingual, right? And Hunter time and time again will say, Lindsay, you say God gave you that gift, and then every single time you say, oh, no, it's not, like, actually Spanish, right? And so a couple weeks ago, we were, it was a crazy weekend, and we weren't going to have time to mow our lawn, and HOAs are not my favorite people, so we had to mow our lawn. And so we just thought, you know, we'll hire somebody for a couple bucks to just mow our lawn really quick. And as we're pulling out, we saw a lawn care truck to the right of us, 
And I said, oh, you know, we could have them mow our lawn. And Hunter turns to me and he says, okay, but you're probably going to have to speak in Spanish. And I was like, Hunter, they own their own business. Obviously, they speak English. And he just, God bless his heart, he looks at me and he goes, okay. So we pull out and we drive up to this truck. And he rolls down the window and he says, hello, sir, um, how much for our lawn? And they look at us and they say, no English. And he starts busting up laughing. He's like, okay, they speak English. So I have to get out. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to them. I'm trying. Hunter can understand, but he just can't talk back. And so, you know, we're trying to, to go back and forth. And I was frustrated. I was so frustrated. I even texted my dad afterwards. I said, dad, my Spanish is laughable at this point. He's so encouraging. You know, he's saying, oh, don't worry. It's never too late to keep trying, keep using it. And it was just quickened in my spirit that I had nullified that gift so many times. I hadn't used it. I had just completely discarded it as something that, you know, is conversational. It's little. I speak a little bit, right? I speak a little bit. God only gave me a little bit, right? I, you know, my high school teacher had a little bit to do with it. You know, all of these different things, and I'm nullifying the gift that God had given me. I'm nullifying the miracle that God had done in my life. And so how many times, like, yes, I'm using myself as an example because I don't know y'all's life, but how many times do all of us do that, right? How many times do we get healed of something and we're like, well, you know, it wasn't instantaneous, so it wasn't God. Or, you know, yeah, I have the job and I'm not really qualified for it. And, you know, I had some favor, but yeah, I'm, I'm good for the job, right? How many times do we nullify the gift that God has given us and yet expect more miracles, and I, I find it so funny that, you know, we ask to be living stones and we don't want the rocks to cry out and we don't want all these different things. But yet, how often are we proclaiming the goodness to other people in our lives? You know, there have been so many times when I've been in conversation with somebody who does not know the Lord and I walk away and I'm like, I really hope that I didn't talk about God like too much, like scare them, but God should invade every single aspect of our lives. God should be the center of our work and our home and our marriage and our, you know, our kids and our playtime and the things that we, our vacations even, like God should be a part of every single one of those. And so as we're going through our daily lives, this is not like a, I want everybody to write down five ways that God has miraculously saved you, right? This isn't like, I'm not going to give you guys homework to go home and, you know, write down everything that God has done in your lives, but it should flow so naturally out of you. The place that we have thanksgiving, right? God inhabits the praises of his people. And so if God is inhabiting us, how often are we praising him? You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? And so I find it so funny that, you know, as Jesus as our chief cornerstone, that means he's a part of us and this toll road. I'm so sorry, guys, but I feel like it's going to go on for way longer than what they said that it was going to. But if you've noticed in constructing this toll road that's really, really annoying and keeps cutting off traffic every single time we leave our house, um, you'll notice that they start with these cornerstones and they're big and they're bulky and they go way down in the ground. And then from there, then they start to attach the walls. Then they start to attach other stones to it. And they start filling it up with stones and they start, you know, pouring stones on top and all these different things. But it all hinges on the one stone, one stone per corner, obviously. But it all hinges on that one stone, the whole structural stability. And so how many times have we, you know, said something that has happened in our lives 
and yet Jesus was not a part of that. You know what I mean? It, it crumbles. That foundation is crumbling beneath. If we're not willing to, this is why I chose this stone, this really big flat rock. It's the cornerstone, right? It's the thing that gives a foundation. It's the thing that gives structure. It's the thing that gives ability to go up from there, right? And so, you know, I mean, put simply, how m- I want us to be able to go to God and expect miracles. You know, we were praying yesterday. And if you're doing your Bible reading plan with us, which I highly encourage you to do, there we had we neared the end of acts yesterday and the end of acts was not the end of miracles the end of acts was not the end of the new testament church the end of acts was not the end of these times when there was healings and wonders and miracles and all these different things but in expecting them how often do we go back to the times when we have seen god move right how many times have we seen god move in a place and we've commemorated it as purposeful, when we've commemorated it as God, when we've commemorated it as I will worship you, God, because of that time. So, you know, this has just been resonating so so strongly in my heart. And, you know, I really miss youth. Hey, youth kids, pop, not soda. And, you know, yeah, I know, rough one. I know we've had some really heated discussions about pop and soda. But, you know, I really miss youth because there are so many times when, it's that transitional time in between um, the kids' Bible stories that we, and, you know, love Children's Church. It's the where the, it's where God gave me my foundation. It's where, I, you know, I first saw God move. It's where, you know, I received the infilling of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues. That's a really funny story if you want to hear it. But, you know, there are so many times when God had, has moved, but then there's this adulthood side. And adulthood is hard. Amen. And there are so many times when you feel unprepared and that transitional time in between is where we attach the Bible stories as just pen and paper that something happened like 6,000 years ago to what can happen to us today. You know what I mean? And that's really what we've been endeavoring to do is going to the Bible stories, yes, getting a good foundation, yes, but asking how does this apply to my life? How can I grow in this? This is not just something that I read six years ago. It's something that I can get new today and get new information and get new revelation on it. It's something that I can constantly, my big thing is questions. Like I was that kid that asked why all the time, right? It's like, why do we have to do this? Why can't I do that? Why do planes fly? Why don't they fall? You know, all of these different things. And I was, I was a curious kid but Jesus used questions as our purpose of growing closer to us, right? And so this time of youth has been so interesting to, for me to see on the flip side of making that transition from just seeing these times, seeing Bethel, seeing Gilgal, seeing Ebenezer as just times of the past, of times when God moved for them, and instead seeing it as a time when God can move for us. You know what I mean? And so... Um, there are so many stories that I'm even thinking of now that I just heard through the grapevine of amazing things that has happened, and yet we're not declaring them ourselves. You know what I mean? Um, let's let our rocks cry out, right? If you could go to the message translation in Luke 19:40, it says, um, says, but he said, if we if they kept quiet, the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. And 
our praise is not, our praise is not just worship. Our praise is not just song service. Our praise should be in every single aspect of our lives. Amen. Our praise should be on our lips continually with everything that we say, filled with joy. Amen. Filled with joy. They're like, our testimonies should not be, yeah, God moved my life. I'm waiting for the next one, right? There are so many times when we have to choose joy instead and reflect on the times when God has seen us move, when we have seen God move, and vice versa. We're partnered together for a purpose. Amen?